listen to uh, frequently, and it, it's, it has to do with preachers and preaching. And in the course of that podcast, there was a simple statement that was made that kind of broke off in my spirit and just kind of stuck with me. And what the guy said, he said, I pray a simple prayer every single day. I want to talk about that prayer tonight if we can. I know it's not, if it's, I'm not talking about a, a prayer from the context of Scripture, but I think it's a foundational prayer that's essential for revival. All of us would like to pray the kind of prayer that starts revival. Amen? And we all know that every single revival was born in a prayer room. Amen. Every great revival was birthed in an atmosphere of prayer. It was people praying and seeking the face of God that brought about each great awakening, that brought about each uh, explosive revival that would change the course of nations and even the history of the world. But I want to submit to you that perhaps the most important prayer that you can pray in regards to revival has to do with your personal call to go make disciples. This is what he said. He said, I pray every day this prayer. Lord, please give me the opportunity to share the gospel today and the wisdom to recognize the opportunity and the courage to seize it. I don't have just a little bit of notes. I sat in my office and scratched out just a few moments ago. I probably won't preach a long time. But I want to talk about those three things. The opportunity, the, the, the chance that God puts before you, the wisdom to recognize that opportunity, and the courage to seize on it. Amen? So the first thing that he said that I pray, he said, I pray every day that the Lord would give me an opportunity. I think it's essential that we recognize we can't grow unless we reach people. Amen? I mean, uh, Ryan and Alicia are, are working real hard on church growth, but you know they're they're not going to get a large enough family to constitute significant growth anytime soon, amen. And I don't think well, I'm going to stop right there before I get in trouble. The point is, though, we have to reach people. We are here. That's why we exist. We're we're not here just for fellowship. Now we are here. The church exists for the building up of the body of Christ and for the edifying of the saints. And the, it exists for the purpose of giving you what you need to feed your soul on a week to week basis. And we we understand that's the importance of coming together in the fellowship of the body of Christ. As I I receive something both from the preached word of God, from the worship that takes place, the corporate worship, and just the community of the saints amen i get something there that i can't get anywhere else but that is not the primary reason why we're here the primary reason why we're here is defined by jesus christ and his life and his sacrifice he came to reach the world amen he came so that those that were lost could become found. That's what we're here for. Amen. We're called to exemplify that in our day-to-day -day living. Amen. We're called to exemplify that that heart of outreach, that heart of, of evangelism, that heart of wanting to reach the lost with the gospel before it's too late. Amen. So if we're gonna if we're gonna pray the kind of prayer that says, Lord, Create for me an opportunity today to share the gospel. That means I have to get an awareness of the fact 
every single day, I'm an evangelist. I am I'm an ambassador for heaven. Amen. You can't come to church on Sunday and then for really forget about church until Wednesday and then kind of put it on a shelf somewhere and not think about it again until the next Sunday rolls around. Amen. That kind of mindset doesn't yield revival. That kind of mindset doesn't yield, yield souls coming in. Amen. But you've got to have the kind of mind that says, I recognize today the most important thing I'm going to do today is not earn a living. It's not work for my employer. It's not further my education. It's not uh, make money to put in my bank account. The most important thing I'm going to do today is share the gospel. Tell somebody about Jesus. Amen. And if we entered every day, part of the reason why this prayer broke off my spirit was that that very thought, if we entered every day with that thought process today, today, Lord, Help me reach someone today. Give me an opportunity to share my faith today. Give me just one chance to talk about Jesus today. If we made that a daily prayer, amen, we would reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? It's about recognizing where the field is. Amen? And we've talked a lot about the field in our study of Ruth and how important and significant it is that you stay in the field. But what we need to recognize is the field is not a foreign missions field somewhere. It's not some metropolitan field somewhere. It's not some place where someone else is called to labor. Your field is your daily environment. Amen. It's in your field where God is going to give you a harvest. That harvest, we, we always think of, uh, at least I can speak for myself, and in growing up in church, I always thought a revival was something that was going to come from somewhere else. Amen? It's something somebody else is going to do. It's something somebody else is going to precipitate. Listen, the harvest is coming from the field, and my field is my circle of acquaintances. It's my friends. It's my people that I work with. It's the people I go to school with. It's the people I'm around on a day-to-day basis. And when I'm in the field, I am in the environment where God will make an opportunity. Amen. The opportunity is not going to come while you're while you're gathered with church folks somewhere. Amen. I, I, I mean, it may be possible somebody walks to that door in the next few minutes and you get an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But in this closed circle right here, amen, there's not anybody under the sound of my voice that hasn't heard the gospel. Amen. That hasn't heard the preached word of God. And so my field is outside of these walls my field is not in my home now my home may become a field my home may be a place where i bring somebody in and and i I feed them dinner and i talk to them about the word of god teach them a bible study and develop a relationship and friendship with them that helps disciple them in this truth but my field is outside of the church and it's outside of my home amen harrison gets upset with me because I am a consummate deer hunter. We go on fishing trips, and I'm floating down the bank looking for the spot where the deer comes down to the water to eat or to drink. We go. We have never yet to this day had a squirrel hunting trip that didn't break out into a deer scouting trip. That frustrates him to death. We're not here to scout deer. We're here to hunt squirrels. Well, the reason for that is is more than I'm a squirrel hunter, I'm a deer hunter. Amen? And and everywhere I go, there's the field. 
there's the opportunity. Amen. We may be over in the sunken lands for the purpose of shooting squirrels, but we're really there to find where the deer are holed up. Amen. And so everywhere I go, whether it's driving down the road or whether it's out on the lake somewhere in my boat or whether it's off in the woods somewhere, my mindset is on hunting deer. That makes sense? Amen. So much so that he was watching a YouTube video one day of a fishing video, and they were driving down to the river to go fishing, and the camera just panned, and, and there was a deer. And I, and I said, hey, it's a deer. <laughs> And Harrison's like, Dad, it's video. It's not like we're driving down the road, you know. But my mind's in tune to that. That's the way we ought to be about winning souls. Everywhere I go is the field God has called me to work in. Everyone I come into contact is the field that God has put me in the midst of. And it is. it should be my mindset that I'm continually and constantly looking for that opportunity, amen, that I'm continually and constantly searching out that chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen. Lord's not going to give you opportunities somewhere else. He's going to give you opportunities in your field. Now, I may travel overseas, but when I get overseas to preach a missions trip or whatever, we've done that multiple times, when I get there, that becomes my field because that's where I am. But God's not dealing with me or calling me from here to reach a soul in Taiwan. Amen? I may pray for them, but I'm not going to convert them. My field is where I am, and he's going to give me opportunity in my field. Amen? That means if you're going to pray every day, Lord, give me a chance to share the gospel. Give me a chance to tell somebody about you. Give me a chance to invite somebody to church. Give me a chance to share what you've done, the testimony that I have. That means that you're going to have to recognize that you're in your field. You're where God's called you to be. You're doing what God's called you to do. Amen. You're not on that job just because you answered that help wanted ad. You're on that job because that's where God placed you. Amen. You're not in that school just because of the random chance or circumstance that puts you there. You're in that school because God puts you there to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that brings a different sense of urgency to our lives. And I believe that Jesus Christ lived his life with a sense of urgency. It was all about the cross. It was all about that sacrifice. It was all about reaching and developing and pouring himself into those 12 disciples in the short amount of time that he had. There was always that sense of urgency. You see him talking with them and saying, the day's coming when the Son of Man, amen, is going to be taken away, amen. The day's coming whenever the night's going to close in. You'll no longer have time to work. There's, there's, there's a shortness. There's a sense of, of urgency. And it needs to be that you and I develop that same sense of urgency if I don't reach a soul today, they may never get another chance. God may cause me to cross paths with someone today that's contemplating ending their life, life tomorrow. Amen? So the first sense of that prayer was simply to pray daily, Lord, create the opportunity. And I'm going to promise you, if you'll pray it, he'll do it. Amen. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you something else. I believe the opportunities are already there. But because we're not looking for them, we're not aware of them. 
See, we get caught up in our own carnal mindset. We get caught up in all the, the other stuff that gets so important in our lives. And we don't have the wisdom to see the opportunity that is before us. That was the second part of the prayer. Lord, give me the wisdom to recognize the opportunity that you've given me. Because the opportunities will be there. We spend our days around people who are looking for something they don't have. Amen? Listen, you, you, you can say, well, Brother McCall, we're with fairly normal people. Well, I can tell you fairly normal people aren't satisfied with their lives. They aren't satisfied with where they are. They're not satisfied with the way they're living. They're looking for something that is real. They're looking for something that is genuine. You are surrounded every single day by people who are hurting, by people who are desperate, by people who are hungry, by people who are looking for a change in their life. Everybody in this world is searching for happiness. Everybody in this world is searching for meaning. Everybody in this world is searching for a sense of fulfillment. And the thing is, those things cannot be found outside of Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, you can find a sense of purpose in a job, but it quickly runs thin. Amen? You can find your fulfillment in your education, only when you get there, you realize it's not as fulfilling as you thought it was. You can seek your sense of happiness from your financial well-being, but you'll eventually learn that finances don't make you happy. Amen? The world is full of very, very rich people who are exceedingly unhappy. Amen? The world is full of very, very successful people by anybody's measure whose lives are in a shambles because they don't have any sense of personal fulfillment. That only comes from Jesus Christ. Listen, the world, you have what the world's looking for. We have what the world needs, and it's our job to connect what we have with people who are looking for it. So part of that prayer becomes, Lord, grant me the wisdom to recognize the opportunities that are before me. Let me see every person through eyes of faith. We dismiss people. We, we predetermine. We, we decide right offhand that that particular person is out of reach of the gospel because of their status or because of their position or because of their financial background or because of their past, whatever it is. We, we make these predispositions. We need to get eyes of faith that sees every single person as a hunger soul. If you could see your world the way God sees your world, if you could see the people you work with the way they are spiritually, if you could catch a glimpse of them through the, the eyes of faith that would let you see them for who they really are and for what they really are, amen, it would break your heart, the people around you, how desperate and hurting and broken they are and how much they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me see each person with eyes of faith. Let me speak to everyone I speak to with a voice of hope.
I'm going to get right down in your business for a minute. When we're all the time negative, and we're all the time dwelling on the problems in this world or running down this person or running down that. We, the Bible said bitter water and sweet water cannot come from the same fountain. Let my words edify you, Lord. I doesn't mean I have to always be talking about the Bible. I mean talking about fantasy football, but let me do it in a way that's clean. Amen. I can be talking about deer hunting, but let me do it in a way that edifies Jesus Christ. Let me not ever conduct myself by the word of my mouth in a way that degrades my witness, that takes away from what I can say or do to reach somebody because the hour is going to come when that person is hungry, amen, and they're going to have prejudged me by what I've said. Let my words be words of hope. Let me continually point people. You know, people come by my desk. Everybody at work knows I am a minister. As a matter of fact, the, uh, the common... Uh, nickname is Hey Preacher. Uh, there's the preacher. And, and th- that's just what they call me most of the time is the preacher. And it's it's pretty universal throughout the plant. I, I'm the preacher. Amen. Which means that every now and then folks stop by my desk with their concerns and worries about world affairs. I had a guy stop by today and said, Preacher, this whole world's in a mess, ain't it? Talking about the, the events in Las Vegas and all of that. Amen. But it's my job then not just to acknowledge that the world's in a mess, but it's my job to point them towards the answer. Amen? Yes, this world's in a mess, but Jesus Christ is what this world needs. It doesn't need a government program. It doesn't need some social solution. It doesn't need some civil solution. What the world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's my job to continually point people to the cross. Amen? To speak in hope. And then to listen with ears of compassion. If you're going to find the opportunities that God's put before you, you're going to have to see everybody with eyes of faith. You're going to have to speak words of hope. And you're going to have to listen with ears of compassion. Let me hear. Let me hear broken heart. I've got a friend, Brother Scott Sistrunk. Brother Scott Sistrunk has started five or planted five home missions churches in the Detroit metro area recently was elected this past week as uh, the director for the Home Missions Department of the United Pentecostal Church International. Scott will tell you, he said, I have, this is going to sound weird, but it's true. He said, I can hear the cry of a city. What he means is when I drive down the streets of Detroit, I hear I feel, I sense in my spirit the brokenness, the hurting, the pain. He said, I can drive through a community and I immediately feel that pull and that tug. And he said, that's what led me to the five places, the five different uh, suburban areas around Detroit where he's planted churches is driving through there and hearing and feeling that call. Amen. That's not something that is uh, is isolated to the super spiritual. Amen. If you knew Scott very well, you know he's not super spiritual. Amen. He's just a good old boy. But that's not isolated to super spiritual people. It's, it's something that is inherent in 
this relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. He invites me into his confidence. He lets me hear. He lets me see. We have a spirit of discernment. We, we have the ability to recognize things. Let me listen with ears of compassion. Let me hear my world. Let me hear the cry. Amen. It's not always going to be pronounced. They're not always going to come and say, well, you know, uh, I'm having trouble with my marriage and I need you to pray for me. That's not always the way it's going to come about. But let me hear that. Let me sense that. Let me be sensitive to that. Let me have that ability to be able to open that door and say, okay, Lord, here's the opportunity. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you bring your family? Why don't you bring the problem teenage child that you've got that you're thinking about putting into some kind of treatment facility before you go bust up your family? Why don't you come to church? Why don't you just give Jesus a chance? Amen? So give me the wisdom to recognize the opportunities that are before me. And then finally, give me the courage to seize the opportunity. This is where I believe we struggle. We, we've been conditioned by our society that it's incorrect to bring our religion into the public space. We have been conditioned by our society that there is a public space that is supposed to be free from the intrusion of religious space. Amen. And so then that there are there are distinct lines where uh, you, you, you're not supposed to bring that which is in a religious space into the public space. I'm going to tell you something. That's not the way it was intended to be. That's not the way it was with the first church. Amen. The, 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 the disciples would say this thing was not done in a corner. It was not done in secret. It wasn't done behind closed doors somewhere. Amen. This gospel is for our culture. It is for the public space. Amen. And, and it is for you and I to be able to reach out and touch our world but we've been intimidated fear and that's why i think this 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 last word courage is so important because it speaks to the main stumbling block we've been intimidated out of sharing the gospel we've been convinced that we'll be estranged that we'll be mocked that we'll be cut off that that we live in a world, I, I use the example of whack-a-mole. Everybody play whack-a-mole at the, at the fair, circus, or wherever. You know, a little mo pops up and you hit it in the head with a hammer. We have that kind of mindset in our culture, our society. Whatever's different, that, you know, the one that pops up, the one that's different, the one that stands out, that's the one that gets whacked. And so we're afraid as Christians, if we distinguish ourselves, if we separate ourselves, if we, we make ourselves that obvious in our approach at reaching our world, that we're going to be the one that gets whacked over the head. That's what we've been conditioned for. That's what we've been taught. So uh, we, we have this mindset of timidness about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard a story once about a, an individual who uh, met someone who worked with someone who they knew was a preacher. And in the course of the conversation, they said, oh, I heard you work with so-and-so. And, and uh, the person said, yeah, I said, uh, th I, I love to hear that individual preach or something along those lines. And and the response came, well, I, I didn't even know that that person was a preacher. 
Amen? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be. I didn't even know that person was Pentecostal. It shouldn't be that anybody who meets you or talks to you doesn't know. Amen? Somebody can work around you for weeks and months and years and not know what you believe. They know that you wear a bun on your head. But do they know what that means? I know, I'm getting all meddling like crazy. It's okay. It's what happens when I don't have notes. My wife gives me this look every now and then. That's okay. The fact is, I should, you should, live a life that exemplifies what I believe in my heart. I believe that a world is lost and going to hell and desperately needs the message of the cross. I believe there are good, well-intentioned people who don't have the fullness of truth and need somebody to help them take the next step of faith and come into a better understanding of truth. Amen? Give me the courage to stand out like the three Hebrew children stood out. Give me the courage to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give me the courage to love like I've been loved. That's what it's all about. Loving like I've been loved. Do we really love the lost? Do we, You know, I, I, the stories of heroism that have come out of the Las Vegas shooting event have been tremendous people who after escaping the barrage of gunfire turned around and went back for strangers they did not know. People they, they didn't have any familiarity with or any relationship to. People who did not have any kind of connection to them. But they went back into the gunfire to get those people and bring them to safety. That's a heart of compassion. That's that's a heart that uh, I heard the testimony of one lady who said that a man, complete stranger in the crowd, came and, and got her and was helping her out. He was shot in the back and killed while he was helping her out. That's that's the kind of stories that, that always amaze me. The Bible said, no greater love hath any man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. Perhaps that means more than just that you would die for someone. Perhaps that means I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it causes me, whatever it costs me to reach a soul with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it means I get branded at work as some kind of religious lunatic, that's okay. I'll be a lunatic for Jesus. If it means that I get ostracized from the, the in circle at school or from the popular kids, that's okay. Jesus was ostracized as well. But it's my job to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. I was listening to another podcast. Uh, this one's put out by the National Public Radio. And it's, I don't even remember the name of the podcast, but they were talking about regrets. They were interviewing a woman who is a, a psychology professor at a university and she runs a regret lab. And they study the impetus and cause and effect of regrets. 
And in, in preparation for this program, they had opened a call-in line, anonymous call-in line. And you could call this 1-800 number, and you could tell your deepest regret. And it was being recorded, and then they used them in the show. They would play, nobody told their name, or you didn't know who it was. But they, they would play these people's regrets, and, and then they'd discuss them in, in this, this format with this psychologist. So, uh, like one man, he, he called in and said that his, his deepest regret, or it was a lady, she said her deepest regret was that she, one day she was driving down the road and she saw her estranged father who had left her mother for another woman when she was just a child and had, had never been a part of her life since. And she said immediately she saw him there. She reckoned it's him. She hasn't seen him for years. And so she slams on her brakes, she pulls to the curb, and she opens the car door. She's jumping out. In her mind, it's not that she's going to confront him. It's that she's actually going to see him. She's going to talk to him. She's missed that relationship with a father that's been absent. But just as surely as she begins to open the door, the doubts hit her. And she started to cry, and she said, I don't even really know what I'm going to say. I don't even know how to say it. I don't know what to do. And so she closed the door and she drove away. And she said that was her deepest regret because she never saw him alive again. That's pretty heavy. But there was another man who called in, and the man said, he said, my deepest regret is that whenever I was a Christian, back when I believed, I came into the church, he said, in the 70s, and he said, "My, I came from that hippie background. And he said, some of my friends that didn't come into church with me were constantly haranguing me with a question. Do you believe we're going to hell? And he said, I eventually broke down and told them, yes. I believe that if you don't you know, come into salvation with Jesus Christ, that you're going to go to hell. And he said, that's my deepest regret. I, believe, I don't believe that anymore, he said. And the deepest regret I have is that I was so judgmental that I actually told those folks that they, they were going to go to hell. I would compare that with D.L. Moody's deepest regret. He was teaching a Sunday night preaching series on the life of Christ. And on the fifth Sunday of October... I mean, the fifth Sunday of that series on October the 8th. He preached to the larg largest congregation he had ever had in his building. He took his text that night from the passage, What Shall I Do With Jesus, which is called the Christ. He preached a powerful and compelling message, and there was a great sweeping spirit of conviction that moved into the house. D.L. Moody sensed that. But he also knew that the next week he would be preaching the climax of the series. His message would be on the cross. And so rather than having an altar call, he told that congregation, he said, I want you to go home and ponder the question in your heart. What will you do with Jesus? Come back next Sunday and we'll go together to the cross and we'll answer that question. Years later, Deal Moody would say that that was his greatest regret. 
His greatest regret was the failure to seize the opportunity that was before him. Years later, he would fight back tears as he began to tell that as he was preaching that night on October the 8th of 1871, the city of Chicago was on fire. And in just a few hours, the great Chicago fire would destroy the building where he was preaching. It would be utterly reduced to ashes. And he said, my greatest regret is that I never saw those people again. I never got the opportunity to preach to them the cross. I missed the only chance that I would ever have to call that group that was under conviction, the largest group he'd ever preached to in Chicago, to call that group to an altar of repentance. I'm going to close with this. Don't let your greatest regret be a missed opportunity. Don't let your greatest regret be some door that got opened that you failed to walk through. Some opportunity that God put in your path that you didn't have the courage to seize. If we're going to reach our city, if we're going to reach our world, if this church is going to grow to where on Wednesday night I had to move the pulpit over to the middle because there's not enough room on one side. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna ever going to get there, it's going to be because we seize the opportunities that are already there. Listen, they're, they're there. They're before you. They're in your life. There are people that you're called to reach that you're already in conversation with, that you already know. I'm not talking about a stranger that's going to come out of the blue. There are people that you know in your day-to-day living that God puts you in their life so they'd hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that they get a message of truth. Do not let your greatest regret be the fact that you failed to capitalize on the opportunity that he's given you. The principle of sowing and reaping is ensconced in the word of God from the very beginning. When the Lord made every plant and tree, he made them to reproduce after their own kind. A seed that would fall into the ground would always bring forth fruit. That principle never changes. But the key to that principle is you can't get fruit where you haven't sown seed. It doesn't work that way. You can get grass and weeds and thistles and thorns where you hadn't sown seed. But I've yet to see the okra plant or cucumber. Or I've seen a few volunteer tomatoes in my time because we tend to till them under. But you know those, those things that are desirable don't just come up and volunteer. You've got to put some seed in the ground. That's the way it is with revival. There will never be a revival where there isn't sowing of the seed. That's our job. Revival doesn't rest just on the shoulders of the preacher. It doesn't rest just on the shoulders of the praise team. It doesn't rest just on the shoulders of the guy who runs the sound or the guy who runs the media. All those things are essential and important to our services. But revival rests on your shoulders and mine. It's our job to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you to, and you don't have to write it down. 
and you don't have to say it word for word, but I want to invite you to make that a daily prayer. Lord, give me an opportunity today. Give me the wisdom to see that opportunity and the courage to seize it today. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank